Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Can you imagine when people listen to this and they like thought they're getting a really deep emotional episode about like fertility struggles and body positivity and then it's just about butthole hair. Welcome to another episode of Too Tired to Be Crazy on every Thursday with me, your host, Viola Benson. And my special guest is somebody that can actually pronounce her first and last name, so I'm really excited about that. Her name is Claire Holt. She's an Australian actress known for her popular roles in Pretty Little Liars, Vampire Diaries, and many more. Claire is also a mother, overall blonde bombshell, but most importantly, she's also a Gemini. <laughs> yep. Blonde bombshell and Gemini, so definitely not too tired to be crazy. Did you know your husband's a Pisces? I thought he was an Aries. Is he Pisces? Yeah, he's a Pisces. I should know that. I'm, it's crazy that I don't know that. You know why? Because I think about my kids. My son's an Aries and my daughter is a Virgo, I want to say. So like, that's where my head's at. Do you know anything about zodiac signs? Not much apart from like, when I tell people I'm a Gemini, they're like, hey. Right. That's all I know. <laughs> oh. Scare people off. I feel like sometimes it's like I have some friends who are Gemini's and we click so well. And then I have other people that are Gemini's. I feel embarrassed to admit this, but even people that I've done interviews with who are Gemini's, I feel like I didn't click as well. And then I get nervous now when someone's a Gemini. I'm like, are we going to click? I can't. <laughs> who do you click with the best? Aries. Because I'm really fiery. Like I click really well with like Aries, Leo. You know all about it. You're, you're a pro. I need to get more into it. I would have saved myself a lot of trouble, I think, if I knew more. One good thing about, like, your husband, for example, Pisces men, is that they're known to be very faithful. Thank God. You can finally rest. I know. I've been down the other road too many times. I just want a nice, loyal dude. Yeah. They're super loyal for life. They're obsessed with their partner. They're homebodies, supposedly. They're great partners. They're romantic. They believe in um, soulmates and things like that. And Wait, then, so everyone should just marry a Pisces then? Yeah, Pisces men, Taurus men. Those are all really great. Like those two, I feel like are really great men to, to date or a Jewish man. I've got a Jewish man and a Pisces. There you go. Jackpot. <laughs> no, he is. He's amazing and phenomenal and awesome and all those things that you did. So. There you go. If I'd have done my research, I would have like known even quicker. No, if you would have done your research, you would have seen that Gemini and Pisces are not that compatible. So it's good that you didn't look into it. Why not? I don't know. It's just like those signs don't really mesh. But then you would have found out that there's actually other zodiac signs in your chart. So even if your sun signs are not compatible, the way you love can be compatible. The way you communicate can be compatible. And that's how a lot of times two people can still be super compatible. We definitely have different love languages, but. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. He's an acts of service guy and I'm words of affirmation. I just want people to tell me I'm pretty all the time. Wait, I'm like that too. That is my love language. How do you show love back? 
I know that he's an acts of service guy. So I like cook him breakfast or do like the, like his sweet potatoes the way he likes them, you know, like little things like that. Yeah. Usually the way you like to receive love is the way you'll show love back. And that's why a lot of times couples have a miscommunication about love because they don't understand because they're like, I tell you, you're beautiful every single day. Why don't you do it back? And the other person's like, I cook you breakfast every single day. Like, what do you mean? I'm showing you that I love you. I think we've saved ourselves a lot of issues in our relationship because I know what he needs, like what love language he is. And he knows what I need for sure. Exactly. I like a bit of physical touch in there too. Like I want you to like rub my back and tell me I'm pretty, not just like look at me. Yeah, I'm like that too. So basically the way Claire and I decided to do this interview was because, well, A, I followed her for years. She's like a really cool actor. And I, I watch Vampire Diaries and I watch like every single one of those, like any show that has to do with fantasy. But anyway... A few weeks ago, this lady, Emily Ratatouli. I just call her Emrata because I feel like that's what everyone... That's how people know her, yeah. She posted... I wouldn't know because she actually has me blocked on my personal Instagram. I don't know why. Like, we did an event together. We were cool. And then, like, a few... A week later, she blocked me and I was like, what did I do? Maybe it's a glitch. Maybe that's not real. Sure. So, (laughs) so... I'm blocked on my personal for whatever reason. So I didn't know this happened, but she posted on her Instagram story 10, 11 days after she just gave birth. She posted a video of herself, of her, a close up of her stomach. And she made sure the people knew that it was a super recent video. She looked amazing. Gorgeous. Exactly. So then one of our friends posted on her Instagram, not skinny, but now fat. That's her Instagram talking about it. And a lot of women who have gone through pregnancies of given birth were commenting how upset they were because it's unrealistic and it's making them feel bad about themselves including you and Mm -hmm. I've never given birth I want to give birth I don't have a boyfriend right now so like it's gonna take a second oh no you could just do it there are plenty ways now that's actually true um (laughs) I commented saying I didn't understand because I personally couldn't understand I was like what's a big fuss like I don't even look like her without giving birth so obviously if I had that body of course I would show it off like we should be more body positive towards everyone and then you responded back to me you're like hey big fan but actually and then you kind of like went off on me for a second then I didn't want to go off on you and by the way that's so not my speed my feathers ruffled with this one and I just I felt like people were like not understanding what really that did to a lot of women if you haven't had a kid before you can't be expected to know right But for me personally, and for a lot of women in my life and women that I've heard from and communicated with through Instagram and every other platform, it's kind of a hard, rough time. And your brain doesn't act normally. And your body is this thing that you don't recognize anymore. And you look down and you're just like a machine for another human. You're like a host, right? You're made to feed, you're made to birth. And maybe it was different for Emrata, but most of the time you don't recognize yourself and it's a real freaking struggle. And for me, I was just like, you know what? Excuse the docker thing. She wanted us all to know that it was after she had the baby. She was showing off pajamas. It wasn't swimwear. It could have been buttoned up. There wasn't like a huge need for her to zoom in on her stomach and show the majority of women out there that she had a completely flat stomach 10 days after giving birth. And listen, props to her. Like I'm, I think it's awesome that she has that confidence and she's happy. But when you have a platform, I feel like you have a responsibility to think about whether your content is going to be helpful or harmful to the majority of people, right? Sure, maybe there's 10 to 15% of postpartum women who have confidence and feel great about themselves and are in the state of bliss and are inspired by her, but it's a much smaller percentage than the majority. And the majority or the women that I communicated with and heard from felt so shit. There's so much pressure out there for us to snap back and to look a certain way and to be a certain way and to have it all together after we have babies. 
it's just not most people's reality. And so you couple that with hormones, this entire new existence, sleep deprivation, you know, recovery. And for most people, it's just a really hard time. So would I have said it now? I don't freaking know. I've thought about it. I've talked to people. I've heard from other women, their perspectives, like why should she not be able to share her experience because other people feel bad about themselves. And that's true. Like that's a super valid point. However, me personally, I might've kept my abs to myself for another week or two, maybe till a time when women are starting to, that's maybe more realistic or attainable. This is how I operate my Instagram, right? I think about whether my content is going to be harmful or helpful to most. Some people came back at me and they said, well, you have kids. And what about women with, you know, fertility issues and dealing with infertility and miscarriage? And, you know, my response was, I'm definitely sympathetic to that. I've spoken on that topic many times. I had a miscarriage myself. I know what that feels like, but that's the minority, right? And so the minority I've acknowledged and spoken about, but the majority of people aren't triggered by my children. That was my thought process. And like, I I wasn't trying to create drama. I wasn't trying to like be critical of anyone. I just was like, you know what? It's a shitty time for most women right after you have a baby and seeing something like that can make you feel even more shit and just like maybe hold off. Yeah. By the way, you guys. So when she responded back and everyone was applauding her, I DM'd her. I apologize. We had a discussion and then I asked her to come on my podcast. So that's kind of what happened. <laughs> you didn't need to apologize, by the way. Your comment was totally valid. You were like, I would show my body off. Like, it's great. There was nothing that you said that was offensive or whatever. I just was trying to say like, as postpartum women, and I'm in the postpartum period myself, although like I'm a little further removed because my daughter's seven months now, it's a little bit of a different experience to just like normal body positivity. No, I agree. So there's two things. One, there's actually a quote that I saw yesterday. It literally says that no one ever understands someone else's struggle until, until they go through it. That's why sometimes I can't understand it because I haven't gone through it. So I don't know how my body's going to change. So that's why I understood where you're coming from. And plus, like, I wasn't trying to defend Emirata because, again, like, I don't know the lady and she blocked me. So it's not like, (laughs) you know, but I was just also seeing it from her perspective as a model. Oh, she's an activist for women, but then she's not. Yes. And she complains about being sexualized by photographers, but then sexualizes herself and writes an op-ed about how she's not going to assign a gender to her child, that her child would tell her when it's 18 what its gender is. Doesn't work like that, but okay. And then she, you know, gave it a very masculine name and, and identified it as a boy. So I think for me, it's just like, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. Maybe that clouded how I felt when I was looking at that photo. And that's on me. And by the way, that's the other thing that I should have thought about. Who knows how she felt? I don't know. And I made an assumption based on a video and based on her zooming in on her stomach and her gorgeous bosoms that she felt good, but maybe she doesn't. And maybe she was like doing what the majority of her followers, what she thought people wanted to see. I've really thought a lot about this, you know, after having just like rambled on an Instagram story and like dealt with people being super supportive and agreeing and also people saying like, Hey, shut up. You're wrong. And I really want to listen to the other side of things, right? Like I want someone to offer me a different perspective, just like you did when we talked, you were like, yeah, I hear you. I get it. I understand. Like, I think that's how we have civil conversations and that's how we progress, get better and learn about each other. I definitely think I could have worded it better. I felt triggered and I was six months postpartum. So I was just thinking like maybe someone who gave birth a week ago at that point, my sister had just given birth. Maybe they feel so bad right now and they're so sleep deprived. And then they see something like that and it just tips them over the edge. Yeah. 
but that's also like on us again, right? Like we have to monitor what we consume. Exactly. When I feel like that's another thing, it feels like with, I don't know if it's with quarantine or something changed now where we all make everything about us. Because even when I defended Emily, it had more to do with me than her because I got irritated or quote unquote triggered by the fact that sometimes people even comment on daddy issues getting upset by me when they were like, my cousin's friend's boyfriend's dog, like went through this. I can't believe you opposed this meme. So in a way, I think subconsciously I made it about myself. And by the way, I do the same thing all the time. I'm like terrified I'm going to say something that's going to offend someone because obviously that's never my intention, right? We don't walk around in life going like, I'm just going to say shit to piss piss people off. I wouldn't have done this and I'm just going to say it on my account because it's my account and I can say what I want. It's her account and she can post what she wants. And that's the other side of it, right? It's a whole learning experience and it just shows you the impact social media has on our lives and how it can be amazing. But like, torturous as well. And it's a really scary thing because none of us were taught how to do this. There's no class on it in school. We just like do what we do and the ripple effect can be huge. It's a responsibility that I think like a lot of people don't realize that they're signing up for, especially when they have that massive platform and then you have it and you have to figure out what to do with it. I love it. I love connecting with people. Like what I care about a lot is women in the postpartum period and mothers. And it's been a great way for me to talk to people and and see what they're going through. But I'm also like, I like put it away a lot and I'm also terrified that my son's going to be furious at me for posting pictures of him when he was a kid without asking and making all these decisions like that. I don't know how they're going to impact my kids for the rest of their lives. It's a lot. You kind of can't think about it. Otherwise you're going to end up in a loony bin. I agree. So speaking of postpartum, would you say the other things that involve getting pregnant, giving birth, like a miscarriage, would you, what would you say the hardest thing you've ever gone through in your life? Would you say it was having a miscarriage? 100% my miscarriage was the hardest thing that I've ever faced. And it's interesting because it goes back to what you said earlier about you never know what someone's going through until you walk in their shoes, right? Before I had my miscarriage, I always thought, well, you know, you haven't been pregnant for that long, or maybe you haven't met the baby, you don't have that connection, or it was nature taking care of itself, and, you know, maybe the ba- baby would have been really sick. There are all of these excuses that you can make in your head about why it would happen. And I wouldn't really know how to sympathize or empathize with people who'd been through it. And then I had it myself and I realized what a freaking earth shattering event it is, how difficult it can be to move on even years and years later. And, and it really like became something that I wanted to be vocal about. And I wanted to be an advocate for other women who went through it because it feels like the death of a loved one. Even though there's you've never met the person, it's almost more intense at times because there's like that guilt and shame associated with it. Feeling of I couldn't carry my baby or I did something and I lost it and it was my fault. And that can make things even more intense. Yeah. Uh, that's actually really interesting. I had a guest before, Mila Jovovich. She experienced a miscarriage and it was really hard for her to talk about. She also mentioned the guilt and shame. And I think that is a lot of th- something that a lot of people don't understand or really talk about. So when other women go through it, they don't know that it's normal. But that feeling of guilt and shame, like I, my body should have done better. or I failed as a mother or whatever. And that is so important that you're talking about it because I'm sure there's so many other people out there who've gone through that and feel like half a, a woman because of it. Yeah. And I spoke to so many people in like an older generation as well who had experienced it and they weren't allowed to talk about it at all. Like it wasn't even something that they could discuss with their partners or like close people in their family. It was like such a taboo topic. For me, right after it happened, I went straight to the internet and I was just looking for people to tell me that they felt the same way. I went on all those baby connect message boards and I searched everywhere and 
I finally found Man Rapella is the blog, blog post and she like yeah. talked about going through this miscarriage. I just like clicked with me and I connected with it so much. After that, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to tell my story. And I was nervous that people would think I was doing it for attention. I don't know. You know what goes through your head. I know, but that sucks that you have to be nervous about that. And then I thought people would think that I was looking for pity or I wanted people to feel sorry for me. When in reality, like, I just was like, well, if one person reads this the way I read that blog post, maybe I'll be able to help someone and it'll be worth it. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Do you feel like opening up about your struggles and being so open about it was a coping mechanism and a way to help you heal? For sure. And I didn't know that that was the way I healed in general. Like usually when I've been through tough things in my life, I shut off and I don't want to talk about it and I don't want to share with people. But in this instance, I was like, okay, I'm going to not deal with it like that because that's not helped me or served me in the past. And even though like that's my instinct, I'm just going to talk about it. And I didn't know until I did how healing it would be to do that. I had so many people comment their story, even men whose wives had had miscarriages or sisters it wasn't just the women commenting to me. And that's what I found like so profound. It affects everyone. And we talk about how it just affects us as women because we carry the baby and we go through it. And yeah, that's true. Like it definitely adds an intensity to it. But, you know, the men lost a kid too. Or, you know, if, if it's a same-sex couple and they've done it through in vitro or whatever it is, like they lost a child as well, the other partner. And so it is like a really intense experience, especially for people who don't have children yet. In my experience, I didn't think I'd ever be able to have a baby after that. I was like, well, that's it for me. I'm just never going to have it. It's rough. But even now, I think I'm so past it. And I have these two beautiful children. I'm so freaking lucky. And I adore them. And I can't imagine them not being my kids, which they probably wouldn't be had my first pregnancy come to fruition. But I still get like choked up about it. I still have a hard time talking about it. And I feel this lump in my chest. And every time I think about it, I'm like, well, it's just, you know, it's my coffee or I need a drink of water or whatever. It's not. It's like I feel it in my body every time I talk about it. And that that was like three years ago now. So it just goes to show how how intense it really is for people. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, again, I can't fathom that. I can't even imagine. And like, I remember when Mila was talking about it, she was pregnant in that time when we're doing the interview and she was still getting choked up and, and and sad about it. And then she also talked about the depression that comes after a miscarriage where she just wouldn't yeah. get out of bed. And she just felt like I said, like mm-hmm. half a woman, not a good mom. And eventually she realized I do have other kids that I was blessed with. Like I need to go back to being a mother, being yeah. a wife and all that. Can you talk about the depression that you battled with yeah. after miscarriage? For the first five weeks after I had my miscarriage, 
it was so dark. Like I could not get out of bed. My husband would, you know, he stayed home with me for a few days, but obviously like he had to go to work. He would text me or call me and check in on me nonstop. And I just like would not pick up the phone, shut the door, or I'd like shut him out, shut my sister out. I actually found out on his birthday, which is like so dark. I thought I was taking him for this great scan to check on our baby. It was the darkest time I've ever had in my life. And I've been through some rough stuff, you know, like I, I've had deaths, I've been through a divorce, I've been through all kinds of things. And this was just like, I, I still to this day have never like felt anything as intense as that. But I will, and I don't know whether this has more to do with the fact that I was doing therapy or, or that I spoke about it or whether it was like really physiological. But when I got my period again, after my miscarriage, I felt kind of like, a weight had lifted. I think my hormones might have like balanced. So there was definitely a little bit of that postpartum hormonal stuff as well. So you're dealing with loss, dealing with hormones, you're dealing with guilt and shame and all of these things. And just like that combined, it's such an intense experience. I just have so much sympathy for people who go through that and multiple miscarriages. And it's more difficult than most people can imagine. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably the most important time where the partner needs to be there for that person that's going through the miscarriage the most. And it's probably also the hardest because the partner has no idea what they need to do to be supportive, but they have to be supportive. Yeah. Like they don't know what to do. My poor husband had no freaking idea what to do. It's just like such uncharted waters for most people. And he was amazing. And he just like hugged me and, and was there for me. And I know that he really wanted to try for a baby again quickly. Were you scared? I was terrified. I didn't feel ready right away. I got pregnant with James five months later. I actually went for an appointment with an IVF doctor just prior to getting pregnant with James because I was like, you know what? I can never go through this again in my life. I'm going to do IVF. I'm going to test my eggs. I'm going to test the embryos. Like we're going to do all that. I'm going to make sure that this is like science and that I don't ever have to trust that my body's going to manage again. I'd been to sort of like the early appointment, the consultation, then I had an appointment to start the process on the Monday and I found out I was pregnant with James that Saturday, two days before. So there was a lot of anxiety there and like that pregnancy, I didn't enjoy it at all because I was constantly waiting for something to go wrong and for something to happen to him. But you know, he's here now and the anxiety didn't really go away, honestly, till he was in my arms. What about- and then you're anxious about a whole nother set of shit, right? You keeping them alive and then breathing and like, how do you do it? How do you feed? It's just like, I think you just worry for the rest of your life after you have a kid. Was uh, carrying your second child easier then? Did you feel more relaxed or no? It was way easier. I felt like, okay, I've done this before. My body knows what it's doing. I had a toddler to take care of. I didn't have time to lie in the bed and feel anxious all day long. I, I had to like, get my shit together and get going. And the pregnancy went so much quicker. I was so much more relaxed. And also like you've got all the scans, right? So you know what that means and what this measurement means. And like, you know, not to worry if the baby doesn't kick for a little while. There are so many things that the first time around you have no experience, but the second time was much more chill. And it's funny because she is the most chill baby in the entire world. She's like so relaxed and so easygoing and, you know, it makes me wonder the way that I felt to my energy that I projected through my pregnancies and postpartum, maybe that like transferred to the kids a little. Well, she's a Virgo, so she's going to be pretty oh. chill. <laughs> See, I should have just asked you first. Here's me like psychoanalyzing my own pregnancy. <laughs> well, usually I feel like it's the opposite. Like my sister can be very stressed out about things. And then her first baby is super chill. And then her second baby is also actually super chill. I mean, she's not going to be super chill forever because she's a Scorpio. But for now, she is. 
So I think sometimes your kids end up being a little bit of the opposite of you. Yeah, yeah maybe. We'll see. I mean, James was like a really tough baby. He went through a phase where he was easier and then he's a toddler now and everything's no. So it's hard as shit again. But I can't wait to see like the people they become. Wait, so when you had your miscarriage, it, it was on your husband's birthday? Yeah. So I, well, I found out that I'd lost the baby. I had what's called a mis- miscarriage. So like I'd gone in for the appointment and I didn't have any symptoms. I, I remember that weekend I'd sort of felt like, oh, my boobs want to sore maybe, but I didn't, it wasn't anything like alarming. And then I went in on his birthday at like nine in the morning and they did the scan and immediately I saw that there was no flicker and no heartbeat. And you know, my doctor was so beautiful and sympathetic, but I was like, I need you to turn the sound on so I can hear that the hearts weren't beating. She was like, I don't think you should do that. That, you know, a lot of people have trouble hearing that. And I was like, you have to do it. I need to like hear it. And so she turned on the sound and there was no sound, obviously. And so that's how I kind of came to terms with the fact that like I could have a DNC and I could do what I needed to do medically. There wasn't this hope there that maybe it would start beating again, or maybe I would hear, you know, I just saw it was like conclusive and I had the DNC and, you know. Wow. It's intense. It is really intense. I, I, you know, it's hard for people to like, no, even know what to say. Cause I was that way. Like I, I never knew what to say to someone who was going through that, or I never knew how to empathize. And I don't think anyone ever really would understand unless they went through it. And I hope, you know, but it's so freaking common. That's the craziest part. Right. How can people be there for someone? Like what's some advice that you can give for somebody that has some a loved one that's going through that? What can they do? You know, I think that you just have to ride the waves with them. I guess it's the same when you're processing any kind of grief, but the worst thing that you can do is like try and rationalize out of it. Like what I used to think, I thank God I was smart enough never to say this to people who'd been through a miscarriage, but I used to think, oh, well, it's just nature's way of taking care of itself. Like don't say that. That's not helpful. Right. It doesn't help anyone to try and say, well, at least you found out early or at least like that's, it actually like makes my blood boil to think about. You just have to like say that sucks and I'm sorry and it's awful. And I, you know, I don't have any advice. I'm just here for you. Just like be there. Yeah. Wine, chocolate, like all that stuff, you know? Yeah. It's so true. Like when I was younger and my friend's grandma got sick, I didn't know what to say because I haven't gone through it yet. So I, the first words that came out of my mouth, I said, well, people die. <laughs> that was like my advice until I went through it. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Some people have this weird, like they don't know what to say in an like, uncomfortable situation and say odd things. No one really knows how to navigate it. And you don't even know how someone's going to respond when you do try and say something that's helpful. So just kind of being there and letting them take the lead, I think is, is the most important. But you know, the other thing is, and I think this goes for postpartum people too, and people who are struggling, like after they have a baby, don't just let them shut themselves off. I know that like that's happened to friends of mine in the postpartum period and myself after I had James, just keep texting, like keep checking in, show up at their house because it's easier a lot of time just to like shut everyone out. Cause people don't understand what you're going through. And it just makes that hole so much darker and deeper. So don't stop checking in, I think is my advice. Okay. Yeah. I agree with that. So how do you deal with overall anxiety? Do you have any tips for other people who also experience anxiety in general with anything? I mean, I'm such a huge proponent of therapy. I think it's really important if you can afford it and you have access. I have this amazing therapist who I've seen 
on and off for 10 years. And I'm like, certainly not ashamed. It's funny because in Australia, when I started therapy, there was a lot more of like a stigma attached to asking for help. I feel like here in the States, it's really different and it's totally fine to be vocal about the fact that you like see a therapist and you talk about your problems, which is awesome. If you have access, I think that's an amazing tool. And then there are so many places that you can find on the internet that will give you strategies as well. And then the standard stuff like exercise and go outside for a walk, play music, do something like my mum always used to say this to me. And I think it's such valuable advice. When you're in your own head, you're behind enemy lines. So you're in so much more trouble if you sit there inside your head overthinking than if you get out of your head, stop the thoughts and like go and do something and break the cycle. So that's what I used to tell myself when I would start to go down that path. But, you know, just support is everything, right? Like girlfriends, partners, sisters, parents, like if anyone, just like having one person there that you feel like you can talk to and and you share your shit and you don't feel judged. Like that's the most important thing. Yeah. Or I like that you said how, you know, your brain has to rationalize everything. Even when you're going through a miscarriage, you're trying to do that. I think people do the same thing now. So sometimes people try to label everything. And that's why sometimes it comes off like every other person. Now you hear someone being on the press. I mean, it's anxiety versus yeah. I'm just experiencing an emotion, which is normal yeah. versus being like, oh, it's because I have anxiety and I'm stressed out. Or, totally. Or I've been through a traumatic event. It's probably pretty natural for me to feel depressed. I also don't think that there's shame in labeling depression or anxiety or any of those things, but we all go through shit. People that you see on the internet or people who look like they have their lives together, like everyone's going through it. Yeah, I agree with all that. But I think it's also important to do research and to understand, but there is a difference between feeling sad, feeling depressed and being depressed. So for me, labeling actually helps because the minute I can process, I can attach things, which people tell me a lot of times it's not the best where I need to rationalize everything. But once I attach something and I understand like, oh, I'm feeling depressed, I'm not depressed. So then when I sit and process it in my head, I'm like, wait, I finally got out of bed today. Like today I, I went and got food from a fridge. There's progress. And like, that's how I process sure. it in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm finally moving from being depressed to feeling depressed. Like that means there's hope. Like there's a glimpse and I could be happy again. So I do all these exercises myself, but it took me, it took me also years of therapy and also researching and bettering myself to understand what I'm going through. So everyone has a different process. Thousand percent. Literally, I think it's like such an, huge investment into your future and like you wouldn't not go to a doctor if you felt sick you wouldn't not take care of your physical body so why the hell is there like this stigma especially for men attached to like seeing a therapist and taking care of your mental health I'll never understand it because I've seen it work so well in my life for years and years and years and honestly I'd probably be a real asshole if I hadn't done it I wouldn't be able to like walk in someone else's shoes. I'd be so self-centered and my coping mechanisms that I developed as a child for shit, I'd still do. I would not have the life I have. I would not have the relationship I have. I would not have my kids. That's for sure. No, I agree. Like whenever there's somebody that I feel like is a bad person or whatever, I, instead of being angry at them, I just look at them and I honestly, genuinely, and I tell my friends, so hopefully they can feel the same way instead of being angry. I just like, I'm like, dude, feel sorry for this person. They'll never get to experience empathy. They'll never get to experience all these other emotions, all this other growth that comes after being a better person, understanding yourself. Like there's so many things they'll never get to experience all these happiness and emotions that we get to experience because we're growing as people every single day. Yeah. What I tell myself all the time is, and this is how I try to respond to people. A lot of them like slide into your DMs to say the worst stuff. I just always try and say like, I think you're probably feeling really sad and I'm sorry. And I, 
I hope that you like find some comfort and some peace today because how else do you respond to someone who like has that in their heart? Yeah. Okay. So moving on to like a little less depressing. (laughs) Great. Let's do it. What's something that most people don't know about you? You know what? I feel like I'm kind of an open book the last few years, more specifically. Like at first I tried to curate my Instagram to appear a certain way. So I would like face tune my images to make sure that my skin was smooth and like brighten my eyes and all this shit. And I started to realize I don't want to be that person. I don't want to project that. I'm just going to be my truest self. And I like to crack jokes. You know, I make fun of myself. I don't always show my best images anymore. And I think that trying to be the most authentic version of myself has been like so freeing for me. So I don't know what people don't. I mean, I'm a shitty cook. I swear a lot. I don't know what else. I'm sure my sister would like come up with a whole list for you. I should have called her. (laughs) I guess for me, it would be, I like to go on solo car rides and cry. Wait, so you do it just when you've been through something or you just like to have a random cry? I like to have a random cry in general, but it's actually one of my favorite times to have a breakdown is when I'm driving, which obviously is when you shouldn't probably drive when you're having a breakdown. (laughs) You're having to do it in like not a dangerous, heavy vehicle. (laughs) Actually, one time, like beginning of quarantine, me and this guy ended it and I was really upset and we were at a friend's house right before quarantine hit. And I looked at my friend, I was like, you know what? I need to go home. I need to process something. And she's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I need to go home. And she was driving my car there because I don't like to drive. And she was like about to drive. And I go, no, Kira, I'm going to drive. And she was like, are you? are you sure? And I was like, Kira, let me drive. Okay. So I started driving. I turn on the music. I'm crying while driving on the hill with like fast. And she was just like mortified. She literally told me, I thought we were going to die. And I was like, okay, whatever you need to do to heal. But like, fuck. You know, I didn't really have a problem crying in public. I've done it a lot. There was one time when I was 20 and I had done like a hundred auditions and hadn't gotten a job. And I was very close to this one job and I desperately wanted it. And then I got this phone call that I wasn't getting it. And I sat on the bus stop on the top of Sunset Boulevard and just hysterically cried as a young kid. No one stopped, by the way. <laughs> it was probably like a pretty common thing. Another actress lost out. I cry in public kind of a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I cried about something at sushi two or three weeks ago with my husband. I think he wasn't paying attention to me and I was trying to tell him something really important. So you just started crying. <laughs> so I just started crying. It was also right before my period that so maybe that made a difference as well. But yeah, I'm fine with it. Okay. So I'll move from crying in my car to just crying in public. You should. You get a lot of attention, actually. It's true. <laughs> Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Actually, my biggest problem is that I'm not quote-unquote confrontational. I think I'm not, but I really am. So usually (laughs) what I do is I start the fight. And then right after I say everything I need to say with a friend or anyone, I say what I need to say, how I felt, I'll send it like a text. And then right after that, I say, you know what? I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to remove myself from the situation because I think I'm the bigger person. But really, I like started it and then I just leave the whole thing. You need to talk about that in therapy. That's not not ideal. I'm so not confrontational in general, which is why it's weird the way we met and like how I said something. If I go to a hairdresser and they shave my head off, I'm going to be like, oh, I love it. It's so beautiful. Thank you. This is exactly what I wanted. I can't hold a grudge. I can't get deep in arguments with people. It's not my vibe. If I have to like tell a friend that they've disappointed, it gives me hives. Yeah, it wouldn't give me hives. I would just keep it to myself until one day the smallest thing someone does will annoy me. And then I will just have a breakdown and they're like, what's happening? And I'm just like, why did you put the ketchup in the fridge? This is why we can't be friends anymore. I can't do this. And they're like, what? <laughs> we both maybe have some shit we need to work on. Yeah, but maybe it's a foreign thing. I personally believe that like, a lot of times my personality is a little different because of the way I was raised. It's a little different than American. So a lot of times sure. I feel like there's a miscommunication there. So maybe that could be it too. I'm sure. I have a Russian friend who is like a queen to me. I'm obsessed with her. And I always go to her. I'm like, how do you do it? How do you tell people you're not happy? And she's like, oh, God, I just do And like spits it out. I'm like, okay. She's like my coach. But I think like Australians in general, maybe are a little more laid back, less confrontational. Okay, this is a really embarrassing story that I've never shared in my life. So with my first boyfriend, one day we're having sex and I guess I forgot my underwear at his house because I had to go somewhere. So when I put my clothes back on and I left, I remember I was sitting in my friend's house and suddenly I felt mortified because I realized I forgot my underwear at his house. So mortified. And I don't know what it was, but I just knew those underwear were not kosher. I forgot how I knew this. I'm pretty sure I knew there was like a skid mark on it or something like that embarrassing. And I just kept saying, when can I come to your house? Like, I think I left something there by by mistake. Like, please let me come to your house. Like, I literally thought he was going to like never speak to me again. And my friends were like, V, why are you freaking out? And I was like, don't worry about it. They're like, it's just underwear. And I was like, no, it's not. It's not just underwear. I would die. I would absolutely die. And he was like, oh, do you mean your underwear? I saw them and I was like, oh, that's crazy. Maybe they're not mine. And he's like, no, I think they're yours. (laughs) So he put it somewhere away. And then when he wasn't home, I went and picked it up. And I was like, maybe I overreacted. Maybe there's nothing bad on the underwear. I grabbed the underwear. There was a skid mark on it. And I was like, I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) But wait, was it just like a standard pair of underwear or was it a G-string? Because if it's a G-string, he could probably be like, okay, well, it's right up there. Like, Obviously, it was probably like a thong, but the color difference, you know. No, I know. But if, if there were a skid mark on just a pair of like spanks, that would be an issue because you know someone's like had a, a real follow through situation. <laughs> but a thong, like, I don't know. I'm trying to make you feel better. Did he ever talk to you again? Yeah, no, he did. But Oh, is he great? He didn't care. We were like 17, 18. Plus, it was also the same boyfriend that one time we were having sex from behind and he stopped having sex with me. And I was just like, what are you doing? And he was suddenly like open my butt cheeks and he was looking down there. And I was like, what are you doing? And I look behind. He goes, you should shave your butthole. And I was like, okay. And that's when I realized that you can also shave 
your butthole when you shave your vagina, which now it sounds like such an asshole thing to do. But then, I, but back then I was and like, someone did that to me. I would never be able to talk to them again. I would move the country. I'd change my phone number. <laughs> like just what? I'm a, like kind of an embarrassed person in general though. Like I get embarrassed about so much dumb shit. Like last night, my husband was like, did you brush your teeth tonight? And I'm like, <gasps> like horrified that he like told me I had bad breath. Oh my God. Are you okay? That's mortifying. Are you okay? Thank you. I'm okay. I went and brushed them again for the second time. I'm literally telling you about skid marks and having hair in my asshole. And you're like, I didn't brush my teeth and I was mortified. You put me on the spot with the embarrassing stories. I don't know how I won that good. That's amazing. I'm a perfectionist, by the way. So it is embarrassing for me. When you told me that, I've never missed a butthole shave again in my life. <laughs> I don't, how do you do that? Um, I'm a waxer. I don't, I, I don't know how you get back there with a razor. Well, A, if you're waxed there, they obviously wax your booty hole. Yeah, no, of course, but I'm not trying to do it myself. Well, I've never really had hair there. Actually, it's something that I've always been embarrassed about the fact that like now people try to normalize having pubic hair and all that stuff. And I feel like it sucks for the few of us who actually were never able to grow hair down there. And I was always so jealous of everyone that could grow, what is it called? Landing strip. Everyone could grow land this strip. I could never because my hair was growing in different areas. It was so weird. It was like all over the place. I had no hair. So it was already so easy to shave it. I also got lasered. But then to shave my butthole, because apparently that is where the hair grows for me. Not on the <laughs> vagina, just my butthole. <laughs> could you imagine not knowing that your whole life feels live? And someone's just like, oh, by the way, you have an entire bush back there. Yeah. So I, I basically shave it. I lift my leg, open my butt cheek. I just shave my butthole like that. Yeah. But like you're looking in a mirror or you're just going wild? I just go wild. But also I have very thin hair and like barely any of it. I mean, I don't know. Do you ever cut yourself? Not down there, no. I think it's different. If someone has thicker hair, they probably wouldn't be able to do those things because I have thinner hair. I probably have a lot of hair, but thin hair. I'm also Can you like, imagine when people listen to this and they like thought they're getting a really deep emotional episode about like fertility struggles and body positivity. And then it's just about butthole hair. I even talked about before about wanting to bleach mine and I tried to bleach it for two weeks. It didn't work. But at home or you went somewhere? Well, I thought you, you're supposed to go somewhere. And I remember I started calling places and they thought I was pranking them and I didn't understand why. Because I was like, yeah, I'm looking to bleach my asshole. And they were like, okay, you can come in and get the product. And I was like, why would I get the product? I want you to do it for me. And they were like, this isn't funny. And I was like, I need you to bleach the asshole for me. Why would I bleach it myself? And they would hang up on me. They're calling like a waxing place. I would just Google bleaching asshole and it showed up. Places. <laughs> I'm just asking for a friend. Um, I don't want to know. But like, where do you get it? <laughs> I ordered one and it wasn't good. I tried it for two weeks. Do you take progress pictures? Like what? How do you know? <laughs> I did take progress pictures. No, you didn't. I took a Polaroid picture. I was too scared to have it on my phone in case someone hacks my phone. So I took a Polaroid picture of my butthole. The before picture I'd love to see. Let me tell you, and I've said this before in my podcast, don't ever take a picture of your asshole. I will never. Are you kidding me? It was an image that I never wanted to see. If someone said to me, you can survive the zombie apocalypse or take a picture of your butthole, I'd be like, well, I'm, get, I'm passing away. That's it no. for me. It's over. I was like, Wow. Let me add that to the list of my insecurities of things I'm insecure about. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you're brave. You're braver than I. I wouldn't even try that. I, I wanted not to look. And then I was like, ah, you know, I can't be that bad. I looked and I was like, damn, I wish I didn't do that. Do you imagine like the Polaroids really, they have like a certain effect on it as well. I feel like that's not the best. That makes me feel better. 
I took a few. I stashed it away in my closet. <laughs> Do you still have them? Yeah. I think you should get them out and show the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so no embarrassing story for you, except not brushing your teeth one night and feeling embarrassing. I don't know if I have a good one. Nothing crazy you've ever done for an ex-boyfriend, like stalking them in a crazy way. Well, I'm like an FBI level investigator for sure. Like I can find shit out in five seconds. I was on a plane yesterday and there was a guy sitting next to me and I thought for sure that my friend would like them. So I was like, okay, how do I find out this person's name without talking to them? So I, could, I like heard his accent. It was a British person, really tall. So I'm like, okay, that's their vibe for sure. Like that I'm not a matchmaker. And so I stealthily looked at their Apple thing on their computer and like saw the name and then quickly like filed that away. I'm like pretty creepy like that. I can find out like your social security number. All girls can do that though. One pretend they can't, like everyone can find out shit. Yeah, that's true. I really want to get into it, especially from, now that I'm married and like happy. I like to do it for my friends. Wait, so you had a partner before this one. Yes. What happened with that one? It was, a, you had a divorce in 2016. Sorry, tell me everything about your divorce, Claire. Yeah. Listen, I decided this thing that I was going to do when I got divorced, which was, not like me and I was going to be classy and I was never going to talk about it. And I was going to say to even my friends, like I was married, obviously that was an important relationship in my life and I'm not going to talk shit. If someone else wants to talk shit about me, that's fine, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to tell anyone about it. Like I'm going to deal with it and move on. And to be fair, like it was the first time in my life I've ever done that. And it was so freeing because people didn't get involved. And like, if they heard things about me or whatever, I would just say, well, I'd like you to make assumptions based on who I am as a person and what you think about me. And so it was rough. Like, obviously any breakup is horrible and awful, but I went through it. And then I met my husband, actually, one of my best guy friends who was really there for me through that breakup. He said to me, like, I just want you to be my friend. He's really fun. We'll go out and have drinks. It's not going to be anything. Just like come have margaritas one night. In my head, I was like, I'm doing this. I'm never going to be in a relationship again. I'm going to have 17 cats. That's like my life. And then I think my friend was setting me up because they knew that my now husband was like really fun and a great time and definitely like wouldn't have wanted to settle back down. And he was just going to be a great like time for me to get me out of my head. Now we have two kids and <laughs> we've been married three years this year. So like, I think it was meant to be just like a fun hookup and yeah, he's the best person I've ever met in my life. And I'm obsessed with him, even though like, I don't like to say it publicly too much because I want to be the powerful one. It was like, you know, it was meant to be. Timing was so perfect. Like he happened to be in the same city as me. Like even though we didn't live in the same city and I happened to be free that night, he did. Everything just worked out. Sometimes things like that happen and you just say like, that's fate. Like I was meant to be with this and he's my person. Every relationship I went through in life was to get to him for sure. And if I hadn't been with my previous husband or I hadn't dated all of these people that like the timing would never have worked. He is like, I don't want to sound mushy, but my absolute perfect match, 100% my soulmate, my best friend. Like I could spend the rest of my life just sitting in, on the couch with him and be happy. And he's a Pisces and he's loyal and he's nice. And he's all the things you said. <laughs> That's really sweet. I love that. So you do believe in soulmates and you believe that your current partner, that is your soulmate. Like yeah. I believe you could probably have more than one soulmate in your life. But I just think that I, he's meant to be the father of my kids for sure. Like no question. He's the person that I'm meant to do life with. We just mesh, right? Like our communication is awesome and we work through shit. And like when you have kids, you just need a teammate. You really need someone 
who's going to be on your team and like help you through it because you're both going to go through shit and it's a struggle and you have to make decisions and you just need someone who's going to really like ride or die with you through that. And he's that person for me. Yeah. And I love that you said also what you said about your ex-husband, like that's really respectable because one of the reasons a lot of people tend to not move on and they don't understand why is because they don't realize that they're holding on to this person by the conversations and by the stories, because that's the only thing they have left of this person. And once you finally stop mentioning this person, every chance you get, that's when you come to the realization, oh, it really is over. My sister had always told me that growing up, she'd been like, if you break up with someone, you can never text them. You can't call them. You can't hang out with them. You can't see them, like cut it off. If you don't cut it off, it's going to keep going. And like, I obviously had moments in my life where I went back and I like dated people who probably shouldn't have and all of these things. You know, the funniest part is though, one of my earliest boyfriends, who's like the best guy ever, a dear friend now is really good friends now with my husband. So like some of them can definitely stay around. I think also like my husband's just not a jealous person and really appreciates that person for who they are. So they came over one day and like now they're really close mates, but in any sort of other relationship where there's been a contentious issue or whatever, I think it's always best just like move on. Don't talk about it. Don't shit talk. It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't help you. Just makes people think you're crazy. Honestly, it makes people like feel like you're not over it. People don't want to hear about it. Most of the time, like your best friends, of course, and your support network. Yes. But like most people don't want to hear about your shit. They've got your, their own shit. It's important to try and handle it like in a respectful way. Even if you were hurt, even if you had a terrible breakup, if you can hold your head up and say like, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let that affect who I am as a person. Like I'm not going to let that affect my character. I'm not going to let that impact how I want to be treated and how I treat others in the world. You can take that with you forever. Yeah. You're never going to feel bad about that. Are you saying then when you were going through a divorce, obviously it's way harsher than going through a breakup. Would you say that you then did the smart thing of like not stalking, never seeing what this person's up to? You had no idea if he was dating anyone else. You just completely did like cut. Was it clean cut? Well, I met my husband, my now husband pretty quickly after, to be honest. So I felt like I met my soulmate really quickly. And so just as a result of that, you don't really feel you need to, right? Don't look into ex-girlfriends. Don't look into who they're dating now. Like if you hear it, fine. But like trying to find all that information out is not helpful to anyone. Yeah, I agree. Here's me saying I don't look in stuff. But then I've said earlier, I'm a stalker. No, I'm a stalker with the new ones or like my friends, partners or whatever. I, I don't go back. That's just pointless to me. That is really smart. I agree with that. Plus you're in a happy marriage and you have two kids. Like who gives a shit? And I honestly genuinely like, wish all the people that I've been with before the best. Like I don't hate any of them. I don't, I don't have time for that. Like I'm so lucky and so happy. What's the point? That is something I've always wondered. Do people see it coming when they're going through a divorce? Is it, does it have to be a lot of low points to kind of be like hit the wall of divorce or does it come out of nowhere for some people? How do like, how does that usually happen? It's different for everyone, right? It's the same with any breakup. It's just, you were in a more committed relationship, right? No one gets married thinking that they're going to get divorced. I don't think I didn't. Sometimes it's a slow burn and sometimes it's like explosive. Obviously like there's more to it with a divorce because we're married to the person. There's like all kinds of legal implications and like commingling stuff, but it's like any other thing. You just have to go through it. You have to push through it. It sucks. It's not good for anyone. Like no one enjoys getting divorced unless you're maybe someone who like just became best friends with the partner after a really long time. And it's like totally amicable, like Gwyneth, whatever, like she's done it right for sure. (laughs) 
I wasn't Gwyneth, but makeup suck in general for everyone. Yeah. I'm really, really praying that my sweet Pisces husband never runs off with someone else because <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah. No, it won't happen. Don't worry. You guys are soulmates and compatible and it'll never happen. Yeah. By the way, he's going to listen to this and be like, why are you so obsessed with me? It's such a great. That is so funny how like we all think the guys are literally married and you're like, I don't want him to know I like him. Still got to play a little cat and mouse every now and then. Yeah. Okay. So is that how you keep it spicy? You're Definitely not. But that's like the age old thing. You always want your the other person to like you a bit more than you like them. Well, my mom said that the secret to a perfect marriage is the man has to love the woman just a little bit more. I should call him and ask him if he likes me a little bit more than me. I don't think so. I think I'm more obsessed. Shit. Well, that's cute. I mean, it's good. You guys can both be obsessed with each other. What are you currently working on? I actually have a film coming out very soon that I shot with a bunch of people on Zoom over the pandemic. And it was actually really, really fun. And I was six months pregnant, which was crazy. But somehow we managed to shoot it. So that's going to be coming out in June. But also, like, I'm loving being a mom right now. It's really amazing to be able to be around for my kids and to, like, watch the first steps. And I'm so lucky that I have that right now. So I don't know. I don't know when the right time is to go back to work and what I'm going to do. And if I'm going to go back to acting in that capacity. It's kind of hard with kids, right? You're going to schlep them to another city and pull them out of their life and work yeah. for four or five months and then... Yeah. Especially with COVID and travel now, I used to, when I was doing the Vampire Diaries, I used to just fly back and forth every weekend. So I lived in LA, I'd shoot in Atlanta like Monday to Friday, and then I would fly back Saturday, Sunday, and you know do that every week. But it's just so much harder now with COVID and with kids. So. Yeah, well, being a mother is a full-time job. My mom, when she was raising my sister and I, that was her full-time job. And I feel like some of those people discredit that like I feel like when I asked you and you were like well we'll see blah blah in my head I just felt bad they even asked the question because no don't don't by the way I'm so down to talk about it I don't know the answer myself no but like that is also a job that is something you're currently up to like being a mother of two children that is a full-time job it gave me so much more respect for my mom when I had kids because my mom was just a stay-at-home mom she had four kids which is insane to me and I remember when I was younger I used to be like I wish my mom worked like she's like I had this weird complex in my head about wanting my mom to work. And then when I had my own son, I was like, this is the hardest job in the whole world. It's 10 times harder than any like insane job I've ever had. I have so much respect for stay-at-home moms who are in it with little kids and doing it on their own without support. There's nothing to me, like it's one of the hardest jobs in the world, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Is there anything you feel like I didn't ask you? No, I think you asked me way too much. Really? No, I'm just kidding. So where can people find you? Claire Holt on Instagram. Um, I don't really use my Twitter, actually, because I don't feel like I'm funny enough to tweet. Um, yeah, so just my Instagram, really. So follow Claire Holt at Claire Holt on Instagram, but also they can find you on that project you're working on. Oh, yeah, it's called Untitled Horror Movie, but it's a comedy horror. doesn't really, yes, that's yeah. the real name. I think it's coming out June 12th. Perfect. Great. Do you have any questions for me? I'm just going to go away and think about the <laughs> underwear story for the rest of the day. I'll come back to you with questions later. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining on Too Tired to Be Crazy, you guys. Don't forget to follow her on Instagram. And hope you guys have a beautiful day. And thank you for listening to another episode of Too Tired to Be Crazy. Bye, guys. Bye.